Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the financial and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Caitlin Daly, DVM, will talk to us about solo practice tips for equine veterinarians. Dr. Daly is the owner of Midcoast Equine in Maine, which she started in 2013. After graduating from Miami University in 2007, Dr. Daly worked as a technician at Haggard Equine Medical Institute in Kentucky. In 2011, Dr. Daly received her Doctorate of Veterinary Medicine from the Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine and was recognized with the Excellence in Equine Ambulatory Award. Prior to moving to Maine, she completed an internship at Wilhite and Freeze Equine Hospital near Kansas City, Missouri. In 2018, Dr. Daly became certified in veterinary medical manipulation, and in 2019, she became a certified veterinary acupuncturist with a focus on traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. She is also a member of a Decade One business management group for equine practitioners. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equine Management. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Care Credit. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Daly. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really excited to have you today, and I know our audience is going to really enjoy this because, as we know, with the AAEP, about 40% of equine vets are solo practitioners. So I'm sure that everyone's going to be wanting to see how you have handled some of the, the struggles and successes in your practice. But let's, let me first ask you, when and why did you decide to be a solo practitioner? Well, I... I decided to uh, become a solo practitioner almost out of necessity when I graduated in 2011 and then completed my internship in 2012. There were maybe five jobs on the AAP uh, marketplace, so uh, the economy wasn't great, and I applied, sent letters out to maybe 90 practitioners, and I got interview offers at two. And... um, I joined a practice that was very close to my parents um, in Maine. And so that's what brought me to Maine and quickly realized that I would not be staying for very long and that uh, it ended up becoming such a toxic work environment that I left after nine months. Um, I've always been very passionate about uh, customer service. You know, I delivered pizza when I was in vet school. So um, I just like a client to have a good experience. And I wanted to have a say in what that experience looked like. And I felt like where I was currently practicing, there was a hole in the market for clients really uh, not only getting top-notch medical care, but a really good experience with their veterinarian. So I went out on my own and started a practice from scratch. And how scary was that? I don't even know if I registered how scary it was at the time um, because you just, I mean, veterinarians were just so good at digging deep and doing it. I was fortunate to have the support from my parents. So I actually lived with them um, because it was at a point where I was paying myself, you know, $300 a month. But I had it in my mind that I I knew I was going to be successful. Like, I'm smart enough to be successful. It just was going to take time. And I had to make really smart decisions to not get myself in a position where um, I got in over my head. Well, and that's that's great. And always having, you know, some good financial uh, help can can work a 
really well for you. So how did you look at some of the finances of being a solo practitioner? I understand the passion of wanting it, but how did you handle the business side? Um, I got some really good advice from a friend of mine that was in my vet school class. And she said, you know, keep your inventory really light, uh, especially, you know, have the medication on board that you need for an emergencies. But sometimes you can book appointments days in advance. And because from our distributors, we get medications overnighted, you can kind of build your stock slowly um, and order them as you need them. I, with the amount of school debt that we come out with, my parents actually had to co-sign my loans for my digital x-ray as well as my practice vehicle. So um, it's great that I had them. It was very frustrating for me to be in that position because, you know, you want a bank to be like, yeah, we'll give you all this money and you know you're going to be successful. So that was hard to have to work around that. Um, and you know, we all want the flashy truck, the flashy vet box to have the digital x-ray and the ultrasound, and it will come with time, but unless you want to take out a business loan or you already have your personal finances that you're, you know, able to put into the practice, it takes time to acquire all of those things. I started my practice out of the trunk of a Chevy Cobalt car and actually had a client be like, well, I've never seen a veterinarian show up in this kind of car before. Um, (laughs) And then I got a Envoy and, you know, eventually I was able to get a Tahoe, which I still currently drive. Um, The vet box came pretty early, but I think I was in practice nine months before I got an x-ray machine to the point where I built up a client base enough that um, I was losing money on referring x-rays. And then like buy stuff secondhand. And as you use it more, as it pays for itself, then you can start replacing it with nicer pieces of equipment. But there's so much stuff available that's used that um, is a great place to start for somebody going solo. That's that's a wonderful tip. So what are some of the best and worst things about being solo? I mean, you've been doing it for a little while now. Yeah. So I can't believe it. The practice has been open for, I think, nine years, maybe eight, if I did my math right. Um, I would say the best thing is that I get to set my schedule that I used to hate working on a clinic where I would leave my house to go to the clinic to pick up the car, then to go back in the direction and pass my house to go to the appointment. It was such wasted time. So um, I love that I can set my own schedule that if I have a gap in the middle of the day, the dogs come with me and we go for a hike uh, in between appointments um, that I get to I think, you know, take, I don't have to ask anyone permission to take time off to get approval for the type of CE that I want to do. I get to do whatever I want. So I think that that is the best thing. It took me a lot of time and effort to, you know, be in the position where financially you can start saying no to things. That's the other thing. I love being able to say no. So how do you handle emergencies as a solo practitioner? 
Um, so I decided a while back that I wasn't going to have a pager because after my internship, I felt like I had PTSD and every time the microwave went off, like I would hold my breath. So I, um, have it where clients call and they have to call twice. And what I ended up doing, cause I found myself uh, getting r- resentful that if I picked up the phone immediately and I didn't know what the emergency was, sometimes I would be like caught off guard with non-clients. So everything goes to voicemail. I listen to it. Um, and then I can go, okay, this is a call. Like I can finish my dinner, whichever. And then I call somebody back. The amount of emergencies that I see as a solo practitioner is pretty low. Because I only see emergencies for my clients, Mm -hmm. uh, unless I'm feeling generous. So uh, because, you know, I don't need as many clients to support just me versus a five doctor practice, there's just less horses to cause an emergency. Um, I've also paired up with a colleague of mine in, in the area, and we don't have like a set rotating emergency schedule and that's something i'm interested in developing in the future with her but right now you know we are so good at saying like hey i have this meeting on the 25th can you cover for me and i've never said no like i will always say yes because she says yes to mine um and it's just it's really great to not only have that time for myself and have somebody else support that for me, but I love being able to pay that back to her. And uh, we just have a really strong working relationship. That's great. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Let's talk a little bit emergencies. That's that's a good place to talk about boundaries. That is a huge issue, especially with solo practitioners. How do you handle client access versus your personal life? Yeah, so that, you know, we were we haven't I didn't quite get into the negatives of solo practice, but that could be part of it is that, you know, you're you're at everybody's beck and call if you let them. So as a solo practitioner, you often don't have like the office staff to filter the calls and and protect you. So um, what I've tried to do is create using technology to create an office. So um, the voicemail, I, I have auto replies for my email, for Facebook, as well as for text messages and that auto reply goes on at five o'clock at night and it uh, goes off at eight o'clock in the morning and it lets the client know who's texted me like hey I'm not gonna answer this right now and if you have an emergency you need to call so the catch for that is that I have to stop looking at the text message (laughs) Um, because we are our own worst enemies and so I'm I'm getting better at that because sometimes I'll like look at it and then read it. And then you roll your eyes and you're like, oh, Sharon, I can't believe like you're texting me about that. So that's me putting myself in a position where like I'm not respecting my own boundary on it. Um, so now I've just 
acknowledge that I have a text from them, but I don't open it and I don't read it until the next working day. And by having that boundary too, like you're training your clients that they have to call you if it's an emergency that unless it's a case I'm actively managing, like I'm not going to text you at six 30 at night to schedule an appointment. Um, and then, so that really helps uh, protect me and clients access to me. The other thing is like protecting my personal life. So I find like in the springtime, you know, you'll have these emergencies that you end up working like 17 days in a row. And it's not hard work all the time, but like where you literally don't get a break from veterinary medicine. And that's really tough. So I found for me that um, I do really well when I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I take Wednesday off and Wednesday's like the holy day. Like if I get a massage, it's on Wednesday, my therapy appointments are on Wednesday. Like it's me day Wednesday. And I protect that like, so hard a client will be like well wednesday is the best day for me i'm sorry i don't see appointments on wednesday yeah and i just don't um and most people understand if there's an emergency then that's different those things happen but like wednesday's a holy day so we don't put anything on that schedule and then the other thing is like i uh do crossfit so i really like to get that in and in the slower time of the year like i want to be done by 3 30 so that I can go to the gym. And um, again, that doesn't always happen, but working out, staying fit, it's not only good for my mental health, but physical health too. And it's a priority for me. So I think it's whether you have kids, uh, whatever you like to do in your life, you figure out what has a priority over your work life. And then you schedule your work life around that. So I have a friend that drops her kids off every morning. So she's not going to schedule an appointment at eight o'clock in the morning. If she needs to be dropping off her kids, she doesn't see stuff until nine in the morning. So um, that's a really strong boundary that she has to protect her personal life and her family. And what other negatives would you say being a solo practitioner, someone should be aware of before they make that decision? Well, being by yourself is hard in a number of in a number of ways. It can be really lonely um, that you're by yourself all of the time. That is alleviated with um, having a technician. I have a technician part time, so we have fun in the car. And then um, also calling your friends that are also solo and also being alone too. like I went out very early on my own in my career. And so I didn't have that direct mentorship that a lot of my colleagues did that were working in group practices. So I had to find that in other ways. Um, So some of that's over the phone, um, but also like pairing up with other vets in the area. Um, A friend of mine helped me with a bunch of castrations and I helped her with Um, some oral surgeries. So doing that where you know that you're not alone, that if you want to try something new, that you have a friend or two that you could say like, hey, I'm a little nervous about this. Do you mind just being an extra set of hands? Um, And so that's been really helpful. Um, Also having the opportunity to do as much CE as I want whenever I want. 
has really helped me connect with a lot of colleagues and meet new people so that my um, circle, my is so much bigger now than it was when I first got out. That's wonderful. And tell me a little bit about your involvement in decade one. Oh, I love decade one. <laughs> Anyone that you ask probably will say that. So I was in decade one was started by Dr. Amy Grace uh, many, many years ago. And I was actually in the first group that she started and it was I joined it for the purpose of like learning about business. What I didn't realize was that I really needed the connection with other young veterinarians um, because you go like when you just get out of school or you finish your internship, you're going to the AEP meeting and it's overwhelming yeah. and it seems like everyone else's friends and everybody knows everybody and you don't know anyone. And it was really nice for me to have the opportunity to connect with colleagues that are roughly my age, roughly in the same stage in their career, um, in a really non-competitive place that we could just leave our egos at the door. Um, our group got very close and we, you know, had moments, many moments, myself in particular, where you could be very vulnerable about what's going on in your life. And so much of that is outside of veterinary medicine. Um, still to this day, you know, we're all encouraging each other and, you know, whether it's how to have a difficult conversation with a client or um, tips on medical cases, like I have 15 people that I like, they're my family. Yeah. And um, now we're looking at expanding the uh, decade one opportunities to more people. And as a person who was originally a member now to be uh, able to be a facilitator for other groups is just uh, an amazing opportunity to pay it forward. That, that's great. And is there any advice for those who are still students and listening to this podcast or maybe getting ready to graduate this spring and want to enter equine practice, what, what would your advice be to them? First off, we want you so badly. So please try, please come, please join us. Um, we are so excited to have you and it's not all easy. You're potentially going to end up in an internship or at a clinic that is tough and that makes you question if you should be doing this, if you can be doing this, if you like doing this. And I wanna say that it's not you. It's not what you're asking for out of this life. It's not um, the relationship that you wanna have with veterinary medicine, like none of that is wrong. The problem is the environment you're currently in. And, you know, internships, you can leave them and some people do um, and some people stick them out. But if you're at a job that you really hate, leave. leave. There's so many quality practices that are hiring right now um, that are changing the paradigm where you can have uh, a work life balance is the wrong word. I thought somebody the other day was saying like symbiosis, but um this flow between life and work that is unique to you that a practice is going to respect. So um, 
if the if it doesn't fit the first time, keep trying. I have a friend of mine that uh, is on her fourth practice and loving it. She finally found a place that's home. She is an active polo player and they respect that. And she plays polo in the middle of the week and on the weekends. And I'm so happy for her because she's worked so hard um, and she deserves it. She deserved it from day one. Um, so please know that, that you're worthy of having, um, a good relationship with this profession and that you can do it and that we want you. That's a great note. Anything else you would like to add? I think that if you're interested in becoming a solo practitioner or, you know, if that's something that you want to do, do it. You're never going to be as fully ready as you think you can be. Um, so don't wait, go out and do it. Start small, um, know who you are and what you want and the life that you want and the practice, what you want that to look like and build it over time slowly. Because it's easier to acquire the right type of clients than it is to fire the wrong people. <laughs> uh, again, is there anything else that you would like to add, Dr. Daly? If anybody has any questions or looking for advice, like don't hesitate to reach out. I love talking about being a solo practitioner. So I believe my email will be provided uh, with this podcast. So please do. And then also look into our decade one group. Uh, it's available both on Facebook and Instagram, decade one vet, as well as decade one vet.com. Um, there are more groups that are forming all the time and we'd love to have you. Oh, those are great words. And I, I do work a lot with Dr. Grice and she is such a wonderful mentor and advisor. So yeah, the decade one, please do that. And we will end the article on equimanagement.com that goes along with this podcast. If Dr. Daly has said that she will answer you, I will include her email and you can contact her from there. So thank you very much, Dr. Daly, for joining us today on the Business to Practice podcast. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. And we thank all of our listeners for joining us today. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit. Please visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network, such as iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, to hear each episode. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.